All right. Enjoy. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Well, uh, can get started then. So uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you for watching. And uh, if you haven't watched any of our videos before, my name is Adam Cross. And I'm Daniel Johnson. And we are therapists in Southern California. And um, today we're talking a little bit about Lent and Lenten practices for, for Catholics. And I, I think a, there's a, probably a good chunk of Christians and Protestants that are practicing Lent too. So, um, Well, and I, I would even extend that a little bit. It's, it's fascinated me the last two years to watch kind of the secular world take on um, practices of fasting yeah. or take on very low-level practices of meditation or to take on, um, yeah, in any variety of what we have been telling people to do, you know, Meatless Mondays is just a, a tragic secular version of, you know, Lenten Fridays. And, and I don't quite know why this is a surprise to anyone, but we've been, we've been doing this way before it was popular. Yeah, true. Yeah, intermittent fasting has really taken off. Um, so, you know, and I, I, I've done it for a little bit and I, it, it was actually easy because that's really what I did most of college was just not eat until about one o'clock. So I was used to that. Nothing. New. <laughs> sure. So, but. Well, and that's the interesting thing. I think part of one of the interesting characteristics of any penitential practice, and, and we should begin to separate penitential from dieting, um, at some point in this, but um, any sort of, of discipline, let's say, that might be the, the general term that includes both of those things, any sort of discipline like that, the point is for it to become a habit and for it to become easy. And I think that the battle at that point changes. It, it's no longer this trying to do something really difficult. It's really being, it's, it's a battle of being faithful to your commitment. Which is just a different struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And having a purpose behind a commitment that's more than ourselves is, is I think, a big part of it. Right. It's I'm dieting to lose weight or, you know, versus like I'm giving up, I'm giving up this thing that I have this attachment to, to in order to grow my relationship with, with God in, in some way. Um, and maybe that's what we can talk about today is especially within our our church there's a high level of scrupulosity and i think in lent that can be intensified when we are adding all these commitments that that we make right to you know for for lent that people can get almost a little more focused on the the commitment and almost forget who it's for right like we we're saying like or who's behind it um so I don't know if you've had any experience with that and with clients or just people in the parish. Or anything. Well, and, and I would add to that list, uh, you know, not only who it's for and what's behind it, but who's doing it. Mm. I think I think some sense of, of humility, some sense of an honest assessment of what I'm actually capable of is the beginnings of an antidote to to the seeds of scrupulosity. Obviously, full-blown OCD, there's some neurological components that, you know, no amount of just talk therapy is going to yeah. resolve that. <clears throat> Nevertheless, 
you know, those people who have a habit of making the perfect the enemy of the good need to have some sort of um, uh, real assessment of what they're capable of. So let, let's just, I mean, the intermittent fasting is an easy go-to in this case. You know, not everyone is capable of, you know, 24-hour fasts, let's say, and, and only eating at 1 o'clock and then waiting until the, the next 1 o'clock. Simply, you know, the, the obvious example is medical reasons, right? You know, you, can't, you have to take this medicine with food or whatever. Um, so that's that's the obvious kind of example there. And so that kind of person not only isn't capable of fasting in that way, but it's actually imprudent to fast. It would be yeah. <clears throat> defeat the purpose of the fast in the first place, mm -hmm. you know, in some in some particular. So yeah, it's it's interesting. No, but you bring up a good point with the concern about um I guess the the real question here is what is the proper motivation mm -hmm. to take up or or to to drive one in fasting? And yeah, there gets to be a kind of I recall from John Cashin, there there gets to be a kind of showmanship about uh, one's penances, mm -hmm. uh, and and what our our Lord specifically speaks to this, you know, do um, what don't yes. give your alms <laughs> in public or some some such. Yeah, and, and wash your face, keep yourself clean, so people don't see that you're fasting, right? Brushing in a few days, so that's part of the fun. <laughs> on your face and start moaning out in public. <laughs> no, right, precisely. You know, uh, there there has to be, um, but. You know, that's kind of the public signs. And like so many things our Lord says, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, right? He gives a kind of external version of an internal disposition. And so, yeah, don't, you know, put dirt on your face and, and blow a trumpet as you give alms. But so too in your own self, you have to be aware that, you know, this is the little bit out of love for our Lord. And it's, it's nothing too spectacular, but it's capable of offering him, I think yeah. is the beginnings of the right disposition there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think even the, the medical example to take it to a <laughs> maybe a more superficial level, you know, there are people who will give up things like coffee, right? And they, for the most part, they need coffee. Otherwise, they are not nice people. <laughs> and so there's a level of reflection on, okay, if you are going to give something up and treat other people poorly because of it or really not be i guess fully aware of your actions or behavior then you might need to take a step back and say okay i need to adjust what i'm giving up right um and that might sound silly but sometimes people you know they they try fasting and they they try giving certain things up and they're miserable and they can make other people miserable especially within families right it's it's something to be considered that what we are giving up does have to be, I guess the people around us do have to be considered in that because, you know, to give something up for Christ, right. To give a little piece of ourselves, but then to treat others poorly kind of defeats that purpose. And I think that definitely happens. Unfortunately, people try to give stuff up that they might rely on too much. Well, and, and to compound the issue, not only, 
oftentimes do people become a burden to others, but they they get in their own way, so to speak, by um, if, if I didn't have my morning cup of coffee, there is very little possibility that I would be able to pay attention to the liturgy of the hours in the morning in yeah. any sort of capacity that I, I typically bring to it. Um, and if I didn't have my cup of coffee, I, I probably would not even remember to pray the rosary. Thank God it's on the coffee table, but you know, to, to be a reminder, but it's certainly, I wouldn't look at my to-do list or anything like that. So, and, and maybe to draw out of that example, a, a principle of action, it seems to me that any sort of penance we take up, I'm trying to think of some exceptions, but it seems to me that any sort of penance we take up ought to complement or augment our prayer life. It ought not to get in the way of our spiritual life or or complicate it to the point that it's difficult to engage in. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So there's the aspect of loving God with all that we are and and, and helping ourselves to do that. And also, I think helping ourselves give the love those around us more and not make that more complicated <laughs> to where, you know, we, we might be jerks about things. And, you know, that's, that's probably not the majority case of, of what we see. Most people aren't jerks during Lent. Um, but there, you know, there is that communal aspect of our faith and just families work wherever we might be that we have to consider how, our actions are going to affect those around us, even when we are giving stuff up and fasting or adding stuff to our schedule. You know, there's there's that aspect of including other people and reflecting the impact it's going to have. That's that's important. Um, but I, I guess I'm curious for us as therapists to you know what do you think? Or how do you think the role? Huh? Oh, that? I was going to say, what do you think the the theme or, you know, kind of the observations you've had as ther as a therapist is how does Lent become overly scrupulous? Like, what does that look like for Catholics? Because I think that is something that is going on in our church is people are kind of overly scrupulous or feel guilty or shameful when they don't live up to what they're trying to commit to. because you're you're beginning to cut out a little bit but i think the question i heard was um what from a psychological perspective how does a more scrupulous or more therapeutically um relevant i suppose yeah what do you think it that looks like and yeah it's hmm cutting out Yeah, okay. Are we back in sync here? Yes, I think so. <laughs> huh. right, so have fun with that. <laughs> but uh, so um, one thought is I think it's important to keep in mind in some part voluntary expressions of love for another person. 
so the the and and they are in some cases um, kind of an extra display of affection for God or an extra display of trying to unite ourselves to him. I think it's something like a husband who buys flowers for his wife. You know, it's a little bit of a sacrifice. It's a little bit of a time out of his way. Um, now, is he guilty? Sometimes it's sometimes that kind of expression is required um, it, as, as a way to uh, repair the relationship or some such thing, but that's not so. So I think the sense of guilt people feel is um, sometimes misplaced. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be the case. Uh, I'm not entirely sold on that, but I, I think there the the view of the penitential life as somewhat uh, of an extra or an addition to one's spiritual life. Now, that being said, a lot of penance is motivated out of a desire for reparation. Mm -hmm. uh, I have this very interesting um, case I was reading about a while back where um, somebody who had made an attempt on their life was more concerned about the penance they needed to do to apologize to God than about dealing with the underlying issue, the, the, the possibility that they're capable of of that. And I think that's, you know, certainly there's some degree of reparation that needs to be made in that case, but that's not the only or even possibly the most important thing going on, right? Or the most immediately important thing going on in that case. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that kind of client, I would definitely table the concern about reparation and ask them to um, begin to yeah, address what brought them to that place before they ever do anything else. Yeah, you know. and I, I do like that example of a husband giving flowers to his wife. In, in our commitments <clears throat> during Lent are really participating in the life of the beloved and that we're, we're trying to do acts of love towards God um, on top of a relationship that already exists. And so there could be a temptation to feel really guilty or even bad, right? And in working with people with scrupulosity, I've seen, you know, people don't just feel like they've done something bad, but they feel bad themselves if they fail in, in these small ways. Um, in that, but kind of bringing it back to the relationship and saying this is about a relationship that already exists, that is built on love, that really can't be you know, um, you know, it, with the exception of, of mortal sin, it really can't be broken because we forgot to give someone flowers or, you know, we made a mistake in that small way, right? That um, we can't equate maybe struggling with our Lenten challenges or commitments. <clears throat> we can't equate that with sin. And I think that's, that's a temptation that happens, right? Without even knowing it, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I gave up, I gave up coffee and I just had to have a cup of coffee. And so, you know, oh, now it's, it's done. You know, I messed up. <laughs> it's like, not so fast, right? That's, 
that's something that you're trying to do, but it's not going to negate that relationship that exists. No, uh, there's some wonderful things in there, but maybe to keep the conversation a little bit toward um, our viewers kind of practical resolutions. Mm -hmm. I think one important thing to, to keep in mind about any sort of penance or any sort of discipline is that um, a single failure doesn't destroy the whole project. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's the you know, the, the mantra of a good dieter is that, well, OK, I screwed up today, but tomorrow I go back on, yeah. on schedule. And it's it's not that I'm going to do double tomorrow. It's that, no, I'm going to go back to the original resolution and get it right this time. You know, I'm not going to make up for it, so to speak. It's it's you know, this was the resolution and I'm having trouble keeping it. So let's keep it. And I think that's an important thought. So like when we fail in I don't know, saying the Stations of the Cross on Friday or something when that was our resolution. The we don't then say it twice next week. We just make sure we get the resolution done. Yeah. You know, or you know, at, at least that's the right way to build a habit. It seems to me, and the and the kind of gentle way of building a habit. Now it's interesting you bring up that notion of the relationship of the beloved. And it seems to me that's the exact right metaphor. And obviously our Lord thinks that too throughout, you know, half of the Old Testament. That's like the whole analogy used in the spiritual life. And it's, I mean, we take baptismal promises, but I suppose in one sense we might as well as equate them to marriage vows. You know, we're placed in this relationship with the divine and we are being asked to cultivate and grow that relationship. And I'm glad you brought up the distinction with mortal sin there, because I think that's probably where I was stumbling earlier in the show, was some penance is taken up to correct mortal sin. Some discipline or penance is taken up in order to improve our relationship. Yeah. And I think that may also be the distinction between, um, what is it, the illuminative way and the um, whatever the first way of the spiritual life is, um, unit purgative, obviously. Okay. Yeah. So purgative and illuminative way. Um, and it, it may be more characteristic of someone in the purgative way that mm -hmm. their penance is, um, a reparative or a, a, um, corrective kind of thing. Whereas in the illuminative, it's more to open oneself up. Yeah. Of the Holy Spirit and to the, yeah. and to the life of grace taking place in one's life. Absolutely. Yeah. So that illuminative way in Lent, when we're when we're making these small sacrifices or commitments, it is it is a reminder that we are weak and that we need God's help. Like if we give up coffee and we drink a cup of coffee, <laughs> it's kind of that reminder that that we we do have to lean into God and rely on God to do things, right? I mean, that sounds small, but I think that is even a beautiful reminder that, hey, you know, God is going to give us some grace to do what is difficult, right? What what, what we're challenged by in the flesh um, to give up, um, that God will help us with that. And, you know, I, I've, I've seen that in my own life and even in therapy where, you know, clients or even friends, they're really struggling with something. Um, 
you know, and it could be an addiction or it could be something, I don't know, that they are just trying to kick a habit. And there is a, there is a real struggle there, but there's a deeper reliance when, you know, when they have that faith that they're able to trust in God more, that they can turn to God more through that process. Um, and I really think a key part of that is, is, you know, what we're saying is remembering that we are the beloved, that the foundation is built on a God who is, you know, endlessly pursuing us versus a God who's, you know, wagging his finger and saying, I can't believe you drank coffee. You know, there's, there's two very different images there. Um, and I think having that foundation really does make, make a difference. Having the identity of the beloved changes why we're giving stuff up for Lent. Um, and it also does something to that potential fear <laughs> when we do mess up, um, you know, you know, and instead of thinking God is mad at us, really being able to rely more on him, turn more to him um, as someone who's going to help us with that. No, you're, um, <clears throat> you're absolutely right. Cultivating within ourselves uh, an awareness or a disposition that the, the penance of Lent is meant to be an invitation to a deeper relationship. It's not meant to be uh, the, the kind of, of challenging that a coach gives to his or, or a cruel father does when he makes fun of his kids to, so that they, you know, tough love or whatever, some, some kind of thing like that. It really is meant to be our approach and, and greater union with what was Teresa of Avila's phrase, you know, um, a conversation with one we know who loves us, you know, a deeper relationship with one whom we have total confidence he loves us and desires what's best for us and that he's going to be gentle about our um, uh, inability to fulfill <clears throat> particular resolutions or desires. You know, it's it's an interesting thing. I've brought up this distinction a couple times in the last week. And I'm sorry, the uh, the rain has started and my sunroof <laughs> is here. So if you hear that, I'm sorry <laughs> if it's intolerable. Uh, I guess we'll record this some other time. Just well, be assured. Sure. Yeah, just Back be sure. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good relaxing background, you know, and just be assured in California, it'll only happen once. So yeah. uh, <laughs> here we go. Um, there's this distinction in St. Thomas when he talks about sin. He talks about sin in its proper sense, a, a complete missing of the mark. Yeah. So that would be mortal sin. And then there's kind of sin in its weaker sense, you know, where you hit the target, but you didn't hit the bullseye. So you're, and that would be kind of the venial sin. You're, you're a little off. Yeah. <clears throat> and then there's this third type of sin that he talks about, which never gets mentioned in, in, I don't think the Baltimore catechism, and I'm certain not the new one, yeah. uh, but it's called a velity. And it's this idea that, I'm doing a good thing. I'm doing the right thing. I just didn't do it with all the characteristics it required. It wasn't with, say, the full intensity or the full strength or the full um, attention that it deserved or the, or the full act of faith or charity or some such. There's some little element that's missing from it being a perfect act of love yeah. for God. 
and I think I have those distinctions right. I should I should do an episode on that because I bring it up a lot. Yeah. But yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think with a lot of our penances, just because we fell short of the mark doesn't mean we've missed the mark. It just, you know, we, we, we got pretty close. God's going to make up for the rest of it and persevere. Yeah. Yeah. God knows that we're not perfect. <laughs> it's not going to be a shock if we're struggling with these things. So, yeah, that's a that's a good point. I like that. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if that sense of or or I wonder if that attention to my imperfection isn't more often motivated out of um, how other people will think of me mm. or how I think of myself in relation to God. It's not, it, it can't be from how will God think of me because that's clear. You know, mm. he loves me. He desires what's best for me. He keeps me in existence all the time. He provides the sacraments so that I can, you know, grow in, in relationship to him and repair relationship with him. So that much is clear. I wonder if, and this probably like so many things in, in therapy, it's not true of 100% of cases. It's true of most people most of the time. Yeah. But I wonder if a big chunk of that is is more the fear of other people's judgments. Yeah. Other sense of my ability true and i would argue you know a lot of people will say like well i know god loves me and i know you know i know he's not like this or like that but then they kind of live their lives out of that out of that feeling or that fear of like well i'm being watched and i'm being you know my my behaviors are being tallied type of thing and so what especially for catholics that are you know going to mass trying to live the faith, they might hear these messages of like, well, yeah, God loves me, you know, God's a father, all these things, but they're kind of still, and, and I'd include myself in this, that, you know, we have these broken images of God and it's easy to live out of these kind of core beliefs that we've built growing up that we might not even be aware of, but they're there and we're kind of living out even our faith from these kind of faulty images. You know, it's even like our image of God is, is missing the mark in that way. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that seems to stand out to me because I I've had a lot of clients say like, yeah, you know, I, I know, I know the church believes this. I, I believe that God is loving and I believe that God, you know, just wants to have that relationship with me. But deep down there's this ingrained fear of, well, yeah, but what if I messed up? Yeah. What if there is something wrong with me? Um, and that seems to be a, a, even, I guess, a more driving force. And, and that goes with like, well, what if other people see how messed up I am? So there's, there's kind of like those two things. It's like, yeah, this is what I say I believe, but then this is what I believe based on how I'm living my life. And I guess even feeling what I'm feeling. Well, and I think it's important for every person to understand both those narratives that is to say to both understand what it is they believe and know about God and how their actions are falling short of that mm -hmm. and I think in a very real way I think the examination of conscience is probably one of the best ways to perceive the difference and to be aware of you know, I'm living my life in this particular way. 
And some of that is at variance with how I understand God to be or who I understand him to be. And so I do think that, yes, and, and then in addition to, you know, getting a sense of who I am, there is the worry that how will other people judge this? There's absolutely the worry with that. Um, and so I wonder for some people, some people, for every person at, at some point in the spiritual life, if not all the way through, and, and maybe even more intensely as you go along, this awareness of the disparity between who I am and the response God deserves from me. I think that is very much, I think in some ways that seems to be a really important characteristic of the whole spiritual life is that I'm always trying to refine um, and offer to God the proper response for his love. Yeah. Because I mean, what, at, at, there is no full proper response for salvation. You know, there's no one-to-one -one equal expression of love possible for that, right? It and it what what's the Saint Paul phrase? May uh, to to make up for what is lacking in the love of Christ. You know, Christ comes in and helps yeah. us to offer the love we need to offer the Father. Yeah, yeah, right. The, what can we give God? Um, <laughs> not really anything, but but that's the act of worship is giving ourselves back, giving you know, the very little that we can um, in, in that way to worship him. But, yeah. mm -hmm. No, and becoming aware of, you know, we do have what a series of talents is the, is the gospel expression, which we can offer mm -hmm. and which we can invest, so to speak, in our community or in the spiritual life. And, from that prophet, offer it to God, or even those very gifts themselves, offer it to God. And so it's it's an interesting question, you know, am I, or, or part of the question of the spiritual life becomes, am I even aware of what good I do have? And am I using those good tools to, or those gifts from God to build up his church? Yeah. Or to grow in relationship to him? Yeah. I think in relation to, right, you know, these things that we're talking about, being able to give ourselves to God completely, these Lenten commitments, I'm, I, I guess I'm noticing a theme here of how do we handle ourselves when we miss the mark? How do we handle ourselves when we fail? That seems to be a pretty common theme in Lent, but in life, right? We all sin, we all make mistakes. Um, so what does that look like to get back up well, right, with the grace of God, um, with that faith? I think that's that's kind of worth exploring because especially with scrupulosity, that's a, that's a huge thing, right? It's, you know, I've, I've messed up, therefore I'm bad. But even just, you know, someone who's not scrupulous or overly scrupulous, it's easy to just um, – kind of not get back up sometimes. Like you said, like, well, well, I drank coffee, so I guess I'll wait till next Lent <laughs> to try to do that again. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on like, what does it look like to get back up well? I would first add to the problem. It's, it's an interesting thing 
so when I have, and, and I've, I've seen this in my own life, I've seen this in my clients' lives, when a person has a habit of mortal sin, it's very easy to avoid the sin, avoid the sin, avoid the sin for a few days, maybe a week. And then once the sin is committed to kind of spiral in that, to kind of, yeah, um, uh, you know, I did it once, it's a few days before confession, I might as well do it 10 more times, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think maybe on one level, institutionally, the church could do a service to these people who are in a habitual state of mortal sin and offer confession more regularly. I think that would be now that's not, that's not the full story because that person does have to have a firm purpose of amendment and maybe a very concrete practical thing that they're going to do to avoid that sin. Yeah. You know, and, and there's all manner of, ways we could get specific with that but the so not to use not to abuse confession but to um, use it judiciously but you know to help them cut that circuit so to speak of spiraling in their sin or wallowing in the mud or something um, by making the the sacrament more available I think that's a a worthy thought I remember being shocked when I went to Washington DC Every parish had confession before every mass. It was wonderful. I loved it. <laughs> so I'll have to visit there again. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, yeah. I have a lot of friends that um, get discouraged because most most parishes around here have confession maybe for maybe an hour or 45 minutes every Saturday. And, yep. you know, that that's extremely inconvenient. <laughs> I mean, it's an inconvenient time. Yeah, it's, it's actually maybe second to Sunday evening, the most inconvenient time of the week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm blessed because at our parish we have confession six days a week, um, and it kind of varies on the time, mornings, evenings, but it's available. Um, and there is a potential for abuse, but I like what you were saying. You know, I think especially with the example of pornography, it's you have people who are sh- really struggling with it, and they'll fall once, and then it's well. Like you said, well, I might as well fall 10 more times before I go to confession. But kind of reframing it in light of this relationship with God is that, you know, if if a man cheated on his wife and he's like, well, I cheated on her once, I might as well cheat 10 more times. It's really dismissing the wife, <laughs> right? It's really dismissing the other person in that relationship. And you know, it, of course, it's 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 easy to not think of God in that context, but to reframe it and say, well, you know, I fell once, so I might as well, you know, offend God ten more times. It, it, that that's a big big trap we fall into, um, and it's not the intention, right, to say, well, I might as well just, you know, you know, not care about God, but that's the result of this mentality right if well confession is just that new start it's kind of that routine thing which it is but it's also that reconciliation within a relationship like a husband and wife saying i forgive you for for hurting me for you know for going against me um you know and and i think that might be also why going to confession i know 
it can be abused. And sometimes people can use confession as a therapy session, which it shouldn't be. But to, to have it have some sort of human personal encounter in confession, I think is really important versus just like name your sins, you're forgiven, get out. <laughs> it's like, yes, that that could prevent the abuse, but also to have that human interaction for someone that is in persona crusader remind us like, okay, this is maybe where you need to work on. This is where you need to be more loving to yourself. This is where you need to rely on God a little bit more. Um, I think that that's really powerful and, and needed too. No, I'm glad you returned us to the metaphor of the relationship between husband and wife, because it seems to me that it seems to me you're exactly right. When there is a physical person who impacts my senses, I'm less likely to cross that line repeatedly than with this immaterial, all loving force. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's easy to continue to abuse an immaterial, all loving force uh, in the universe. So let me pitch this at you and see what you think about it, because it was bubbling up in my mind as you were talking there. It seems to me that maybe one of the problems with how we approach discipline and penance and Lent and spiritual life is that we fear God in the wrong way. So we have popularly this image that God is a, a cruel tyrant or a taskmaster of some sort who's keeping track of everything we do. And so we, some people respond to that image and, and proceed to be afraid to do anything wrong or afraid to even try anything at all, knowing that they're not going to do it perfectly. And then there are people who don't see God as somebody with whom they're, they're in a loving relationship, and they don't fear being a cad, or being cruel in that relationship, being abusive of that relationship, so they abuse the sacraments, they abuse all these signs of, of love that God offers us. So whereas both of those people, you know, one doesn't, maybe this is the right way to put it, one doesn't fear him enough and one fears him too much. And, and there needs to be maybe some kind of refinement for both of those groups of people of the proper way to fear God, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, and I mean... Yeah, it goes back to the the gospel right, parable where the I think it is a tax collector who is beating his breast in the temple asking for forgiveness versus the I think the Pharisee who's thinking, "Wow, I'm so much better than him." Right? Um, that yeah, I mean, you'd want a tax collector, you want someone who's sinning to come to God sooner, but that might not be the case versus you know someone who's I'm going through the motions, I have it together. Um, thinking, oh, I'm, I don't need God because I have this down. Right? They're both missing that mark. So, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, in in the Aristotelian understanding of virtue, you know, virtue is a mean between the extremes, hmm. but virtue is usually a little closer to one of the extremes than to the other. So it, it's this 
interesting mean. It's kind of a little to the right or to the left of, of any particular action. So it seems to me in that story, our Lord, you know, because it ends with, and the tax collector went home, not, not the tax collector, the, uh, the penitent person in that story. Yeah, the, the tax collector went home justified, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it seems to me if you're going to make the mistake, you're better off being the one who who fears God a little too much, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I and I guess with that, with the relationship in mind, right, it's not not out of like, like, well, just in case, because I don't know God. It's like, no, I know God. I'm sorry. I messed up. You know, like, I know you. You know me, and I need your forgiveness. Versus, like, well, just in case, and mm-hmm. I think that's where the scrupulosity might come in. It's, it's not really about the relationship as much. It's about like, well, to, to double check that I'm okay, I'll do this, right? Or I'll, I'll go to confession. Um, and I think that's a big difference, right? It's one with God in mind, and one of more self in mind, fear oriented, which is easy for us to do, right? I mean, we do a lot of things that are self-protective in that, in that same way. And, and right. And when we view God as a threat to our self-protection, that's where things or, or to our existence or somehow kind of like a predator or a competitor, that's where definitely going back and refining that image of God becomes so important. Yeah. Because, we should do acts of penance out of a desire to improve our relationship with him, not out of a desire to avoid a bad relationship with him. Maybe it's, it's something like that. Yeah. You know, we don't just do things for our spouse to avoid them nagging us. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we do. Uh, but you know, that's not the ideal. The ideal is that we're doing things around the house because it's a way of taking care of them, of being in relationship to them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I use the example in, in therapy of, um, you know, the, the psychological term of stop shooting on yourself, right? I should do this. I should do that. I have to do this. And it's when it comes to our faith and this applies, you know, on a wider you know scope to life, it's, you know, it's not that we should do things to be holy, but it's, I want to, I want to give myself to God. I want to be closer to God out of that relationship, out of that faith and that desire of knowing who God is versus, well, I should do this to be a good person. It's like, well, really? Like, is that, is that why you, you should do something because you just think it's something, a box to check off or is it something that, that you want to do? Um, and so I, I guess as we're talking, I'm thinking overall theme here for this, maybe a shame free Lent is really taking these, 40 days and what's what's left of them <laughs> to examine our images of God and to refocus on the relationship. That doesn't mean our commitments are, you know, too far off, but kind of reframing them in how can how how is me giving up coffee or chocolate or how how is me adding this to my life? How is that going to grow my relationship, even grow my understanding of who God is? It sounds like that might be a huge ingredient in this recipe for for not being ashamed during Lent and really relying on God. That's an interesting point. You know, it's not necessarily about 
altering too much of our external behavior. It's not about taking up a particular penance or not, or changing a particular penance, but it's about digging deep into the motivation for the particular discipline or yeah. for the disposition why we're taking up this, this penance. Because that's what's going to make it something which not only is meaningful and a sign of love to God, but it's something that begins to change us to become someone who is habitually looking for opportunities to show their love for God and yeah. return that love. And that's that's a very different disposition than somebody who's just kind of, you know, trying to avoid problems, you know, mm -hmm. just trying to avoid uh, people who are um, uh, judging us or, or just to avoid danger or it's it's a very different thing. Well, and, and maybe this is pushing it too far. It's interesting when St. Thomas talks about the emotions, one of the fundamental distinctions between the emotions is that some emotions draw us toward a good, other emotions pull us away from an evil. And that's kind of the first distinction in the emotional life. Yeah. And the anxious person, the, the scrupulous person, they're just running away from all the possible evil things that could happen. Mm -hmm. They're not running towards all the good things that can happen, despite some of the bad along the way. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's a totally opposite movement of the heart, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm getting a little too poetic at that point, but... Yeah. No, I, I think, yeah. It's most of the things people will give up are not bad in of themselves. And and that could even be a temptation, right? Oh, I'm giving up TV because TV is evil and because this is on TV. It's like, okay, well, TV itself is not all evil. But instead of just giving up what we've deemed evil to really be moving ourselves, right? I'm not just giving up TV, but I'm reading or praying during that time. Or, you know, so that that's a big that's a big part of it. And yeah, that's a it's a good point. So um, that's exactly what I gave up for Lent. Is yeah. <laughs> evening television, because uh, precisely because not because I was trying to avoid television, although maybe I should, uh, but because I wasn't doing the amount of reading I, I knew I needed to be doing yeah. uh, both for for what we're doing online, but also in my own spiritual life. I just I, I would get home and not make the time, yeah. you know, so unfortunately, Thursday's an exception to that. I already. <laughs> there, there's one show I, I have a little hooked on, but anyhow, it's only 30 minutes. So <laughs> well, I think you know, we're, we're getting towards the end of the call, but I'm thinking for someone, if someone's watching this and is really struggling with scrupulosity and thinking, Oh man, I'm checking these boxes. Oh, I fall into this. And maybe it's not even really an intentional thing. Um, I mean, the good news is that you're not alone. We all, we all do these things on a regular basis, right? To avoid what's bad or something we're afraid of. Um, and it, you know, just even from talking, it, it sounds like some of the main tools to help us, um, to not fall into that trap is really, I mean, returning back to scripture during this time of Lent, re, re-examining who God is and, and, all these examples, like we said throughout scripture, God as the beloved or as the lover and, and us as the beloved, as, as the bridegroom, right? Pursuing the bride. So scripture and just reading 
turning to those things give us those reminders to be intentional about why we give things up or why we take things on during Lent. And it also sounds like what we're talking about is just having having other people, right? Having good a good spiritual director or a priest to talk to can be those good reminders to not, yeah, not stay down when we fall, but to get back up um, and to refocus on that relationship. So if you're struggling with scrupulosity, you're not alone, right? I, I still struggle with some of these things we're talking about. That's why it relates to me. I'm like, wow, I've done this, I've done that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think it's good to talk about these things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. It is good that we talk about these things and that some very concrete advice is given for people who struggle with scrupulosity or or some of the the vestiges from, you know, previous episodes of OCD or some of the beginnings, you know, kind of the, the initial stirrings of scrupulosity. It's interesting, actually, just to sidetrack a little bit. I don't know if you have observed this in your practice, but it seems to me that most people I talk to who experience scrupulosity, they are aware of this kind of early time period where, you know, the the, the cycle of scrupulosity, you know, the trigger, the obsessive thought, the compulsion was infrequent and was often, they experienced it as voluntary, as something they chose to enter into and eventually yeah. became this. So it's an interesting thing. I, I think they're there probably is some work to be done about, I don't know, preventative OCD treatment or something like that. I think that would be an interesting meditation. But um, pulling yeah. back to the concrete, being aware of your triggers, what it is that sends you for the scrupulous, often um, going to confession actually is a trigger in itself to become really hypervigilant. And then being aware of the script you need to start telling yourself, the alternate narrative you need to start, you know, entering into. And I think in this case, one very powerful way of constructing that alternate narrative is at the time of prayer, use your imagination, relive the trigger, and then ask yourself, how would this scenario be different if you imagine Jesus Christ to be right there in the room with you or to be right there present? How would Christ react to your trigger? How would he advise you to understand this situation? Now, that's not universally going to be applicable, but I think there's some use to that kind of an intervention to yeah. say to yourself, how would God understand this moment of temptation? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I, we hear that verse in Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. And that can be that mental checklist, too, is, you know, if we do fall or we mess up, it's are we being patient and kind with ourselves, right? To really love ourselves in those moments where we're, we're having a hard time. You know, are we being patient? Are we being kind as we would with a friend and have that kind of be that mental checklist and and even that script, right? That alternative uh, script that we're listening to. So, but yeah, that's, that's a good point. So, okay. Very good. Cool. Well, good stuff. And hopefully there weren't too many glitches in the, the video in the beginning, but uh, we'll figure that out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, catch us in the comments below and let us know what you're giving up for Lent. Yes. <laughs>